guys, is it afternoon yet? Midday, praise God. Okay, so today um, we're in John chapter 7, and I think we'll read before I pray. So, if you can turn with me to John chapter 7, verse from verse 14. All right, verse 14. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and there is in him there is no falsehood. falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me, because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this man, is not, is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man is from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed, as he taught in the temple, You know me, you know where I'm from. But I have not come on my own accord. But he who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I have come from him, or I come from him. And he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him. But no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering, saying these things. And the chief priest and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the, dis the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me and you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. Let me just pray. I need to pray. <laughs> Lord Jesus, Lord, I um, give you thanks for this opportunity. Um, Lord, I pray that you would just um, help me to communicate your word, Lord, and that your people will um, hear and understand. Um, Lord, I pray that this wouldn't be an academic exercise, but, but something that affects the mind and filters down to the hearts of the people. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I, I came across um, an article re recently. I was, re I was going through the news. And, it, and it, I read an article about a woman who was, who was killed by a lion in a safari park. You hear about that. I'm not sure if you came across that. But the, she was, uh, she, the victim was confirmed as, as Catherine Chapel. Um, and she was uh, an editor for the Game of Thrones program, if you guys watch that. And initially, I was like, I was like, how on earth did that happen? I mean, it's a, it's a safari park, sort of supposed to be a controlled environment. And I was thinking, how on earth did it 
how on earth did, did they let that happen? There's supposed to be safeguards in place that stop that sort of thing happen, happening. And I know nobody's trying to run around in a safari park, at least not without a big gun with them, especially if it's got lions in it. As you can imagine, you'll, you'll be briefed, you'll be given all the instructions to, 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 to stay safe, you'll be given all the safety warnings before you go on a tour, but Catherine didn't seem to take those warnings very seriously. Not as seriously as she needed to. Because Catherine was, she was taking pictures near sort of the lines. And she left the window open. There was a, there was a line who sort of strolled over, probably looking non, non-aggressive, non, not really threatening. And I think it stopped maybe about a meter away, maybe where Mark is. It's not a joke. It's a lion. Big, powerful animals. When they get you, they got you. There were other people in the car. Um, the driver was next to her. And I think he sustained some sort of injury. Maybe he got a scratch on the arm or something. But it was non-threatening. Not life-threatening. But Catherine wasn't so lucky. She later died from her injuries. Catherine failed to listen to the crucial words and warning of the, the park authorities. And she suffered fatal consequences. She ignored the risk of death. And a little closer to home, something I've been hearing about recently, you've probably been, been hearing about it too, is um, tube deaths. People have been sort of dying on tubes and, and, and you know, trains and stuff. And it's like, go into the tube when you're with your mates and you're all drunk, and stuff is not a great idea because you could end up under it. It's not a joke. People don't listen to the warnings every five minutes. You know, mind the gap, all that business. Yellow line there, don't get too close. Not taking seriously the warnings. I'm not trying to scaremonger. My point is that we get, we get vital warnings for a reason and we, we should listen to them. Some of us got kids and we say to our children or, or our little brothers and sisters, don't do that. Don't play with that because you could hurt yourself. And they, at that point, they probably say, okay, before they go and do it again. What can we learn from this? There's a much greater danger and we're going to read about it today. We've just read the passage, but we'll go through it. So we're in God's word. We're in John 7. And we're going to look at Jesus' words. Bertram, last week, helpfully um, shared with us the first part of this episode. And, and it was the time of a, a great festival um, of the Jewish people. It was called the Feast of Booths, or, or Tabernacles. And it was a time where the Israelites came together to remember... their time in the desert, in the wilderness, after God delivered them from Egypt. And what happened at those times is the people would, obviously, there were no houses out there, so they had to dwell in tents. And so the Lord commanded them as, as, as a remembrance of that time where God kept them. He fed them in the desert. He looked after them. He gave them shelter. He said, you must observe this time, observe this date. And so they would gather around the time of the harvest, and they would dwell in tents temporarily. People kept that tradition going. They would build tents in open areas on the top of their houses. Out of shrubs and tree branches. And it was an important festival. And, and lots of people came. Everyone came. So there were those who, who lived in the city. Locals. And so this, this feast was held in Jerusalem, the center of the, the, the nation. It's almost like London. So you had the locals, you had the, the Judeans, like the Londoners. You had the outer towners, you had people coming from all over the countries. You, you had your, your Manx, your, your, your Brummies um, coming down um, to celebrate this feast. Um, plenty of food. So it would have been a good vibe. I think you guys can maybe start to see it. And it was similar to when 
some a few of us went down to Zebedee's barbecue not long ago and it was you know lots of food it was good vibes to celebrate young Zephaniah's life you had you had family there you had wider family you had friends and there was an air of celebration it was lovely when we went down but this is the sort of vibe that it was and f- maybe for us here it would be similar to maybe the Olympics when that happens everyone comes down and it's just there's just a different air about the place Maybe the royal wedding. Again, people travel from all over to come. Notting Hill Carnival. A lot of people come down for that. FA Cup final in Wembley. It's just these occasions in the capital where people from all over the the country, and, and maybe even from outside of the country, come and visit. But at this festival, there was also tension there was fear why there was controversy and the verses before our passage today sort of tell us what was going on and i'm going to read it just quickly so chapter 7 verses 11 to 13 the jews were looking for him at the feast and saying where is he and there was much muttering about him among the people and they're speaking about jesus here Well, some said, he is a good man. Others said, no, he's leading the people astray. He's a deceiver. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. So that's what's going on. Big festival. Good vibe. For people who are unawares, good vibe. But for the inner, I guess the inner crowd, they knew that something was, something was up. And the, 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 the Pharisees, the chief priests, the, the religious leaders, they were, they were waiting for Jesus like gang members waiting for a rival gang member. And although, although Jesus knew, he knew the Jewish leaders, uh, he knew their agenda, he knew what was going on. He still does, it didn't stop him from going down to the festival. He still went. But he went quietly. He had a mission to, to complete, to see through. So it's quite big, the passage. So I'm going to break it into three parts. And my heading for the first part is, one, those who reject Jesus' teaching reject God. Those who reject Jesus' teaching, reject God. So it's halfway through the festival now. And in verse 14, it says that Jesus went to the temple. He went to the thick of the action in the heart of the nation's capital. If he was going to bump into the Jewish leaders anywhere, it was going to be here. This is, this is, was their domain. And at the end of the verse, it says that he began teaching. Now, we're not told exactly what he began to teach, but we know that it was good. We know that it was turning heads. And we know that because of the Jewish leader's response. Verse 15 says that they marveled at his teaching. Saying, how is it this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus arrives at the festival and before that, people are questioning his character. They're saying, he's a good man. He's a good man. No, no, he's, he's lying. He's, he's leading people astray. But now it changes to his teaching. They weren't saying, okay, they weren't saying, okay, well, this man's a dunce and I don't know how he's managing to string two sentences together. How does he know his ABCs? They're not saying that. Most of Israel, especially the boys, were able to read from a young age because of their culture and customs. But they were surprised and were basically saying, wait, this man knows the scriptures well. He's teaching like a, like a seasoned scholar. But I didn't see him at Oxford University last year when I got my double first honours in, in theology and liturgical studies. I didn't, where was he? I didn't see him there. He's not one of us. He doesn't have the robe. 
he wasn't initiated into the the the, the, the Pharisees, if they called themselves that. But you know, he wasn't initiated into our into our club. Who is he? And why is he teaching like that? Jesus taught differently to how people usually taught. He taught with an authority that was unusual for the time. It was it was un, unusual for his hearers. They were amazed because he taught without having the credentials of their approved schools, because he didn't have the proper accreditation. He didn't quote the right people. You know, list of respectable scholars. He didn't quote them in his teaching. He didn't have the blue tick on his in his Twitter page. You know, to saying that he was the real deal. And it, they were concluding that it was his own, his own interpretation. And therefore not credible. And they were dismissing it. They were rejecting it. Jesus didn't teach. He didn't follow the standard, the, the tra- tradition of the way that they usually taught. He was sidestepping it. Verse 16 and 17. So Jesus answered them and he said, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking of my own authority. So Jesus says, I'm not, I'm not teaching of my own authority here. I'm not making it up and I'm not getting it from another teacher. The Jewish leaders might have claimed a sort of similar thing. They might have said, well, you know, our teaching is, 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 is approved by God and, and our list of respectable scholars. And in effect, it's from God. But Jesus was saying something completely different here. Jesus was saying that his teaching came directly from God. No middleman. Jesus was saying that he got the Evian before the Evian people did. Right at the source. No middleman. And it was odd because it's, it's big. It's big. Because the, the people of Israel have always needed a middleman. They've always needed someone to come between them and God. And so for someone to come strolling around saying, okay, well, I just go straight to the source. It's like, what? You can't say them things there. He's claiming something extravagant here, ridiculous in the eyes of the people. Alarm bells are going off in their minds right now. And they're thinking, no one, no one, no one is that close to God. You're not serious. You can't say that. No human being can relate to him like that. And it would have been right with if it was anyone else but Jesus. And we might think that sort of thing if someone came up to us and started saying that. Mightn't we? No one is that close to God. But the question is, do we believe that Jesus is? Do we believe and trust what he says? Or do we count him to be a liar? A deceiver. Jesus is the son of God sent from the father. And none of us are like him. If we want to hear from God. If we want to know him. We have to listen to Jesus and his words. We have to trust the revelation that God has sent to us through his son. And don't get me wrong. Some of us are, I mean, some of us are believers here. Um, and we're in Christ. We're united to him through his death and the resurrection. We've put our trust in him. And in our unity with Christ, in our union with him, we are close to God. Because he's, he's bridged the gap between us and the Father. We can pray to the Father. But still, this, this here is, is, is God's revelation to us. This is the medium through which he speaks to us. So, I guess if someone comes to us saying something other than what's in here,
And if we reject his words, and this is all about Jesus, if we reject him and his words, then we're rejecting God. Verse 17, Jesus goes on to say, if anyone, if anyone's will is to do God's will, if anyone desires to, to bring pleasure to God, to serve him with integrity of heart, then that person will know they'll be given the necessary ability to recognize and discern whether Jesus' words are true or not, from God or not. The proof, he's saying also, the proof is in the pudding. So, for example, I, um, I'm not sure how long it was now, maybe a couple of years ago, I went and done a, um, a, chef, a chef course because I was, <laughs> I was interested in being a chef at one point. Hmm. It was a short course. <laughs> no, it actually was a short course. I did, I did see it through. <laughs> and um, the problem is that I realized that I like eating more than I like cooking. At least not professionally, because, you know, in a professional kitchen, you know, you have to go at the pace of, you know, it's like, oh, chef, I want two, sea bass, I want two, whatever that is. And you're like, I just want to take my time. I want to prepare my food nicely, like some of you ladies in here. Just take your time with your food. You know I mean, you're not someone rushing you um, to do it. I just found the environment hard, basically. I can throw down when I'm ready. The problem is I'm not ready. <laughs> I'm not ready very often. But I can throw down. It's all right. But without that experience, without going into it, I could, I could never tell. I'd still be wondering right now whether... I'd want to be a professional chef or not. No, sir. I go to restaurants, man. It's all right. But my point is, you can't, you can't simply analyze something from the outside and get the full experience of what it's actually like. That would be like, that would be like analyzing a plate of food and not eating it. It's not, it's not the same. And maybe that's the case with some of you here today. Maybe you're weighing up this Christianity thing, this whole Jesus thing, and maybe you don't feel totally convinced by, by him or what he says, whether you can trust him or rely on him. Maybe you're weighing it up. But still you're, but still you're here. You're, you're sort of drawn to, to church. You're sort of drawn to listening to the word of God. You're, you're drawn to his people. You find them different. You find them refreshing. Maybe. No one dragged you here this morning. Well, Jesus is saying, if you want to know God for who he is and commit to living life his way, rather than just inspecting the option from the outside, picking and choosing what you like of him, then it will, it, it, it will be given to you to see whether there's any truth in Jesus' words. It's important to note, though, that you can't just come to God in your own terms, of your own accord. It's God who draws people to himself. He alone gives faith and life. He alone changes hearts and minds. And only he can save and change you. It's the same sort of thing that Jesus said to to Nicodemus in chapter 3 of John. He says, it, he says it's God's Holy Spirit who gives life. Verse 18, let's move on. He says, The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. So Jesus speaks of two kinds of people here. He speaks of the one who, who's, who wants to lift up himself and elevate himself. And another person, the other person who, who seeks to, to elevate or lift up the one who, who, who sent him. One will be out for his own interest, and to, bo- to boost his own ego. And the other almost forgets himself for the sake of the person who sent him. The motives of one are mixed. The motives of the other are fixed. Jesus is definitely the second one, the better one, of course. 
and the Jewish leaders were represented by the first. They were, they were out for their own agenda. They had their own thing going on. They weren't interested in God. Although they were supposed to be the people who were most closest to him. We'll see that in a bit. But Jesus, Jesus was seeking God's glory and not his own. If he was seeking his own glory, then he would have listened to maybe his brothers in the, in the, in the previous um, chapter when they said before the festival. He said, "Come on, bro, go up to the, go up to the festival and show yourself to the world. Come on, you you supposed to you supposed to be on this thing. You want people to to trust you and follow you, right? Come on, man, go on, then, bro." But Jesus was committed to following God's plan. He didn't, he just, he didn't just want to go and convince people everywhere by any means to follow him. No, he came to speak a particular truth, to show himself in a particular light and to do the mission that God sent him to do. Not the mission of anyone else. He came to bring God's glory. In verses 19 to 24, so you just look with me there. Jesus brings up the Jewish leaders' desire to kill him, and he shows their faulty reasoning. In verse 19, he says, Has not Moses given you the law? Yet no one, not, not one of you, none of you keeps it. Why do you seek to kill me? So Jesus, he exposes their wickedness in wanting to kill him, even though they had God's law, which included the command not to murder or to shed innocent blood. In those times, and, and you, see, you, see, you see some of it today, you see sort of honour killings and stuff like that with, um, I guess, Middle Eastern cultures and stuff. You hear of people being taken back to their country and, and like killed, like either shot or stoned, stuff like that. In those sort of cultures, and, and in this culture, this ancient culture, there were crimes that were sort of punishable by death. I think some of it gets a bit sort of inhumane now. Some of it's inhumane, of course. But some of it, there was some, there was some grounding to it, if you like. But Jesus wasn't guilty. He wasn't a lawbreaker or a criminal, yet they wanted to kill him. Their hearts were wicked. Now remember, it's a it's a it's a mixed festival. It's a big festival. So you've got your different crowds. You've got your let's just say, you guys look like some good Pharisees. Um, you had the locals and you had the out of towners. Let's just say, and the people who respond to to what he says there are most likely the out of towners who didn't really know what was going on. In verse twenty, they called him. They said he's demon possessed. You said you have a demon. And that was just a that was just a polite way of saying you're mad. You're crazy. What's wrong with you? I can't see anybody out here to kill you. What's your problem? But Jesus refers back to the incident. He he knows the hearts of the people. He knows the hearts of the Pharisees. And he refers to the incident, which happened over a year ago prior to this festival. where he supernaturally healed a, a man on a Sabbath day, which was a day that, that, w- that God's people were commanded not to do any works. He supernaturally healed someone. And it being the Sabbath that day, the religious leaders were really strict about sort of holding to that, that standard, although they did work on the Sabbath as well. They did something that they thought was important. They, they circumcised young um, babies on the eighth day. If it fell on the Sabbath, they would circumcise the boy on the eighth day. And I'll tell you what circumcision is. Oh, you guys know what circumcision is, maybe. But in response to... So so they had an issue with his doing that on the Sabbath, healing a man on the Sabbath. Can you believe it? This man was paralyzed for 38 years. Bertram talked about it last week. But in response to their their problem with it he said he said my father is working until now and i am working 
So let me tell you what that's like. That's like, okay, God, his people, God commands his people to follow the Sabbath. Jesus says, Jesus is down here with the people. He says, my father. He, he, and he calls God his father, which in those times, it's like, it's like if you go to a Muslim and say, okay, well, father God, he's like, no, God is not our father. We, we, we can't claim to be so close to him. He says, my father's working and I'm working. God, people, Jesus, my father's working and I'm working. The work of God doesn't stop working, basically, he's saying. And I go along and I follow that pattern. And the Jewish leaders were vexed because he was essentially putting himself on par with God, making himself to be above God's creatures. And the verses after that, in chapter 5, outlines their, their, their intention at that point to kill him because that statement was him basically, in their eyes, blaspheming. And that would have been, that would have been true if it weren't Jesus, the incarnate son of God. A whole year had passed since that incident. But still, they, you don't forget things like that, do you? Now, circumcision was, was, was the ritual um, that the Jewish people com- were commanded to do by God. Where they would remove a, a certain skin part of, of, of the male body. That's what, that's, it's awkward. <laughs> and it was supposed to be a physical, visible sign of God's covenant relationship with his people. So the, they saw it as important. And they did it regularly on the Sabbath. They weren't supposed to work, but for something they saw as important, they did it. And acts of mercy were allowed on the Sabbath. So elsewhere, Jesus said, okay, well, if your donkey fell into a pit on the Sabbath, you would pull him out, wouldn't you? You're going to leave him there because it's the Sabbath? No, you're going to do some work and you're going to pull him out. Acts of mercy were allowed. He referred back to, to, to David when, um, this is Old Testament, he was um, running away from um, Saul, who was the, the present king of Israel. He was running away um, and he needed food. He didn't have any food. He went to the, the, the priest temple and the, he, he asked for the bread that was only really allowed for the priest to eat. And it was permissible. It was okay. It was an act of mercy. The Pharisees were, were missing the, the, the work of God in their midst, right in front of their eyes. And even worse, they wanted to kill the one who was doing these works. They wanted to kill God's son. Jesus, in, in verse 24, tells them that their judgment is off. That they should judge rightly and not superficially. And merely by appearance. They were judging Jesus wrongly. Rejecting him. And in turn rejecting God. And it's quite, it's, it's, it can be quite hard to hear. Because you, you think. You think these people were supposed to know God. These, these people were supposed to be close to God. Leading the people in spiritual worship. And yet they were so far from God. We kind of feel for them. Being blind to God, to, to his will and his plan. They had, they had Jesus, as Sister Sylvia shared, like right in front of them. Close. God's son, the second person of the Trinity, right in front of their eyes. And they couldn't see the wood for the trees. And that's, that, that can so easily be us as well. Is that maybe there's someone here like that today? I mean, are you are you failing to to rightly see Jesus and the evidence of his of, of God's work around you? Are you are you refusing to see it? Do you just dismiss Jesus? 
Are you missing what he's doing because you've been caught up in your own thing? Too concerned with your, with your own agenda, maybe. But if you have if you have any conviction of that, then you can bring it to God in prayer before it get before it reaches a point of no return. As seen with Jesus in chapter five, God supernaturally works to 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 change people and bring about new life. And like the the, the once paralyzed man, who wanted to be made well. You can ask God to make you well. My my next heading for the next section, which is from verse 25 to, to 31, is those who deny Jesus, deny who he is, make God a liar. Those who deny Jesus and who he is, make God a liar. So the verse, the camera shifts to, to, in verse 25, to the locals, to the Judeans, to those who would have lived in the city. And they seem to know a little bit more about the Jewish leaders' plan to kill Jesus or their desire to kill him. So in the second part of verse 25, they say, Is this not the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly. And they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this man is the Christ? But we know where this man is from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he's from. See, the locals weren't sure about Jesus either. They were questioning, on one hand, questioning the silence of the leaders. Thinking, okay, well, is, is everything cool now? And they were beginning to entertain the, the, the possibility that Jesus could be the Christ. But as soon as they entertain it, they so quickly dismiss it. Because they find some sort of logical reason to, to dismiss it, to, to, to put it off. Some thought that the Messiah would be unknown until he rose up and delivered Israel from, from, their, from Roman rule, essentially. As, as Bertram helpfully brought out last week Israel was occupied and governed by Rome and so they were looking for a sort of political saviour to, to come and pull them out of that so they can have their own land they can, they, can run the, they can run the show as God's people that's what they were waiting for that's what they were expecting so they're thinking boy we're not going to know who this person is until he comes and just pulls us out of, of, of the mire really Leaving no room for this, is he, is he not business? They thought it would have been crystal clear. And yet they thought they knew the scriptures. They thought they knew where Jesus was born. But they were ignorant to some key details. See, Jesus grew up in the north. So maybe if you say Jesus was, was, he sort of grew up in Manchester. And they say, oh, actually, the Savior's going to come from Portsmouth, if you like. They didn't know that Jesus was born in, in, in Bethlehem, which, is, which, is, which I've referred to as Portsmouth. The scripture that says the Savior basically will come from Bethlehem. And they thought Jesus was born in Galilee, which is like Manchester, up north. But they didn't care to ask. Jesus would have heard the crowds murmuring. Because big controversy at this point. And so he responded by, by questioning their assumption publicly. But he doesn't say what we think he's going to say. What he should say. He says, you know me. Verse 28. And you know where I'm from. But I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. And at this point you're thinking, Jesus, what? just tell them where you're from. Just tell them where you're from, innit? 
Tell them you're from Bethlehem and that will sort out the problem. They'll believe in you, everybody will be saved, and that is it. <laughs> but, but that's not true, is it? That's, that's not true. It's much deeper than that. And Jesus knows. See, sometimes, sometimes we think we can just give people the right information, the right facts about Jesus, and boom, that's it. Saved. But if that was the case, then everyone who came to church would be saved. Especially if the Bible's being faithfully taught. It would be as simple as that. But instead, people come to church every week and they stay the same. Unchanged. They don't change. People hear the gospel week in, week out, and they don't blink. And we wonder if some will ever get it. Because we forget that it's a work of God for someone to come and believe in Jesus. It's a miracle. So the, the issue here is that the people are blind and they don't know God. So telling them the right information isn't going to solve things. They're blind. They don't know God. Don't get me wrong. People need the right information. There was more than enough evidence for people to believe. Jesus, he did, he did plenty of things. But the problem is we live in an unbelieving world. Jesus says that the one who sent him is true. He's real. He really sent him. He really sent me, Jesus is saying. And if we deny Jesus because we don't believe who he is, who he says he is, then we make the one who sent him a liar. Those who recognize Jesus and treat him accordingly know God. Those who don't recognize him don't. And the truth is, although Jesus was born into this world, he wasn't born into this world like other human beings. He was born by, by virgin birth, with no input of a man. God's Holy Spirit brought about the miracle. Jesus was sent before he was born. You have to think about that. He was sent before he was born. Was anyone here sent before they were born? We came from our parents, and that, and that was the beginning. That's where it all that's where it all began. And that begs the question: Then, where was Jesus before he was born? And uh, John, John chapter one, the very first verse of of, of John one, says that he was with God. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, referring to Jesus. And in verse 14 of, of, of chapter 1, it says that, and the Word became flesh. Jesus was with God and existed before he was born. He's not from here. He's out of this world. He was sent here by the Father for a particular purpose and that was to die for the sins of men, to save them. Such is God's love and mercy that he would send his son Jesus to redeem mankind through his sacrifice. His sacrifice on the cross, on the cross for us. Verse 30 The Jewish leaders were offended at his saying this. They were offended at his words and they looked to have him arrested at this point. But it says that no one, no one laid hands on him. No one put a finger on him because his hour had not come. That's a, that's a common theme in John. You'll see constant references to my hour. My hour has not come. He's basically saying my time, it's, it's not my time yet. So you guys are trying to grab me up and, and kill me now. It's not time for that yet. 
and I'm going to be around until it's my time. John, the writer of the book, continually makes the point of stressing that nothing can stop God's plan, essentially. Nothing can can mess with his timing. God is God is in control. He's sovereign over time and he sets the time when Jesus should go and do what he was sent to do. And Jesus shows his awareness of, of God's control over the events of his life. God's plan from this point was for Jesus to go to the cross after his earthly work, after he accomplished all that he needed to do on earth. His mission was approaching its end, but it wasn't time yet. And moving on, despite their attempts to to arrest Jesus, Jesus was able to continue teaching. And his teaching continued to divide the, the, the crowd. So some were repelled, and some were compelled. We see the division of Jesus' teaching in, in, in verse 31, which says that some believed in him, yet many of the people believed in him. Verse 31. Even though their reasoning seemed a little bit off. They said, verse 31, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? It's almost like, boy, this this guy is doing a lot, to be honest. It's pretty impressive what he's been doing. What's he done? He can heal people like no one else. He can multiply food to feed thousands of people. His stand-up is out of this world. The leaders seem to like him. Of course they don't. But it's like, can anyone outdo Jesus? He's a hard act to follow. And, and this is true. I don't want to sort of dismiss their, their signs of faith here, but it's better to follow Jesus for who he is rather than for what he can do and what he can do for you. God's saviour was to be a prophet like like the prophet Moses was. He performed miracles at the hand um, of Pharaoh in the Exodus. Therefore, the Messiah was expected to perform miracles too. If I just look at, quickly going to flip to chapter 6, verse 30. Just a page before. And it says, and this is the people, this is the crowds who Jesus was teaching. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe in, believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat it. To eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. Jesus goes on to say that he is the true bread from heaven, sent by God, from God. The people were pursuing him at this point because it's moments after he fed thousands of people with five barley loaves and two fish. But they were chasing him and really they just wanted to fill their bellies. And he was saying, look, don't, don't labor, don't, don't chase me for the food that perishes, chase me. From, for, the, for the food that is from heaven, which is me. So the last section, verses 32 to 36, my last heading is, those who refuse to follow Jesus now can't follow him later. Those who refuse to follow Jesus now can't follow, follow him later. So the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees and chief priests, it mentions, they hear that some of the people are leaning towards believing in Jesus. And they hated it. And we see that sort of thing today, where 
where people, it's not enough for people not to believe in Jesus himself, but they don't want anyone to believe in Jesus. They want everyone to stop believing in Jesus. Why? Why? It's an inconvenience to them and for their lives to hear people talking about God at, at work and in school or wherever it is you guys find yourselves. People are naturally opposed to Jesus. They want to hear about him or his teaching. The Jewish leaders weren't content with rejecting them, Jesus themselves, but they wanted the people to reject him as well. And why? So that the people would look, the people would look up to them as the religious authority, that they would, they, they would trust in them, that they would look up and say, yes, these are the guys we want to follow. They wanted to be supreme authority and not Jesus. Jesus was calling people unto himself. So if they were following him, they'd have no need to follow the Pharisees, the religious leaders. They oversaw the spiritual sort of practice in Israel, in Jerusalem. They spearheaded the the precedent for how people should go about serving God. They led the way in their minds, but yet they were so far from God. Jesus was crossing a big line and they'd had enough. So they sent officers to arrest him this is the first attempt to to properly grab him an official arrest this is where it got on top they wanted to get rid of jesus much before this point they wanted to kill him jesus in verse 33 says that he would be with them a little longer before the time came for him to leave this world and go back to where the father was from where he was from but he then added some crucial words and we should we should take note of these words in verse 34 he says you will seek me and you will not find me where i am you cannot come so jesus was focused on the father's plan he was going to to death on the cross eventually you'll see later on in john he was on a divine mission to redeem the souls of men He had a sort of tunnel vision on his way back to the Father, back to his glory in heaven. And he was saying that those who hate and reject him now, they can't follow him up there. They can't follow him to heaven. They can't come. And there it is. Those who reject Jesus now won't be able to follow him later to heaven. These are crucial words. These are, this is a critical warning here. And like we spoke about with Catherine Chapel in the beginning, it'd be good to, to, to listen to these words. Verses 35 and 36. The Jewish leaders were lost. They were like, where's, where's this guy thinking about going that we won't be able to find him? Is he going to live with the pagans? Is that where he's going to go? Because, yeah, we can't be going around there. They wanted to take him out of the game. And it was often in John's gospel that people just completely misunderstood Jesus. They totally, they, they were wide off the mark. It was understandable because they didn't believe in Jesus. They didn't have faith. They didn't believe he was going back to God the Father. They thought, where's this guy going? Is he going to try and run away like a fugitive? But it just exposes their total inability to understand the spiritual nature of Jesus' words. It's like he was speaking a different language. The dispersion here in verse 35 was referral to the, the Jewish people who were scattered all sort of away from Israel, maybe living among the Greek people all across the Roman Empire and beyond. Jesus had to fulfill his plan so that whoever so would believe in him would have life in his name. So, just in closing, my, my question is, so where do, you, where do you stand with all this? 
where where do you fit in on the in the in the film credits? And I'll make it clear that that none of us are Jesus. We, we've only got three character choices or crowd choices. It will be the Pharisees, the 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 the, the, the religious leaders, those who reject Jesus strongly. We've got the, the Judeans, the locals who sort of sit on the fence. They're not too sure. And you have others, not necessarily just the out-of-towners, but you've got those who, who, who show faith, who believe. If anyone desires to truly follow God, it will be given to him to hear and understand Jesus' words, to put their trust in him and be saved, to live in obedience to him until death. The Bible says that that person won't be put to shame. And I can't stand here and say that the Christian life will be easy, rosy, after if you come to Christ. It's probably harder as a Christian, to be honest. Especially in these times when no one wants to know God. And we feel the effects of a fallen world. Life is not easy. But I can stand here and say that. What comes next? What comes after? If you're committed to Christ. If you seek him. What comes after? Eternity with God is is worth it. And at the same time, many of us here now can testify of God's goodness in Christ. To his faithfulness and trustworthiness. Because we, by God's grace, are submitted to to living out his will and not not our own wills. In chapter 8 verse 21, Jesus clarified what he meant when he said, Where I am, you cannot come. He He said this, he said, I'm going away. And you will seek me and you will die in your sins. He laid it out plainly there. That's quite different to what he said to his disciples, though, his committed disciples. He said in chapter 14, verse 3, he said, I go and I prepare a place for you. I will come again and I will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. It's quite different. Catherine Chapel didn't listen to the warnings of the Safari Park authorities and she paid the she paid the pen she paid the penultimate price, not the ultimate price. The ultimate price is failing to to obtain eternal life, which is only accessible in Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um Lord we thank you for your word, Lord, and thank you for your truth. Um thank you, Lord, that you were committed to um, living out, doing the Father's will, Lord, which meant redemption for us. Lord, after this time, Lord, you went to the cross and you, you, you died for us, Lord, paying the penalty for our sins, Lord, that we might, that we might know God. Father, I pray that we would, we would hear these words, Lord. And not just hear them, but that we'd understand them, that we'd take them on board, on board, and that we'd act on them. Father, I pray that we wouldn't reject you, Lord. That we wouldn't deny you and who you are, Lord, and that we, that we wouldn't refuse to follow you. Lord, help us, Lord. And if there's anyone here who... Um, feels like well I don't know what to do Lord I pray that you would cause that person to look to you to call out to you and Lord you will hear that person and for those those of us who are Christians Lord help us Lord to to continue to change Lord to to not let your words just skate over our heads uh, but to take on board what it is that you say And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.